Thanks for listening. In this episode, Chris and I are going to do a deep dive into Threat, the GM's primary meta currency for the two die 20 systems. I know we talked about this a little bit in an earlier episode, but we thought that spending an entire episode talking about Threat, or if you're a Conan player, Doom, uh, would be useful because it's a lot more than just a mechanical element of the game. It is an incredibly important piece of the story. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Well, here we go then. All righty. What's your gaming been like in the last week or so? Uh, I'm trying to think. It was the last Thursday. So we did, did I, what did we play as a board game last week? Oh, we played this, this deck building game called Aeon's End. This was me, Scott and Brian. And like played it for like an hour and a half and then lost at the end because we were finding it really difficult. And we were playing on like the first encounter and it was meant to be like easy and like the rule books, like, you know, if you win this, don't worry, it's meant to be easy. It gets hard. And we were like, what? We got stuck. Um, we then realized there was an extra win condition that we'd missed but like yeah that was like the bad guy started on 70 health and we got him down to like 40 something before we were all before like he destroyed our village and it was like wow we made a mess of that <laughs> it was so hard <laughs> but yeah that was good um good and then yeah i've been trying to play marvel online but my pc doesn't like the the mod for tabletop simulator which runs it and i cannot run it without crashing so oh. I've, I've just thrown in the towel now i've gone like that's it i'm not playing online anymore i just it's my pc will run everything under the sun except this one useful mod that i could be playing online games so yeah how about you you're gonna point fingers at me here maybe no i'm getting get i over. ran <laughs> i i ran a, a 5e one-off last weekend i did but was it at least fantasy it, it was. Yeah, so you, it weren't, was. You, yeah, you, well, weren't, you weren't running, you know, Hellboy or Stargate. Or... No, 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 no. No, we, uh, we were, again, we were down a player, and we're, we're right at the edge of the last, like, culminating session or so of the Star Trek Adventures, the intro campaign that we're doing, or set of adventures. And so I said, all right, we're, we're you know, not going to play with one person down because of how important this, this next chapter is. And so I told my players, I said, go ahead and make 15th level. Whoa. Yeah, 5e characters. Oh. And I I ran them through, oh, it ended up being, in terms of like the square footage of the map, about half of the Tomb of Horrors mm -hmm. that's in uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal. Uh, that adventure in its uh, original basic or, or, you know, the original version of it back from like almost 40 years ago was always like the vaunted, the holy grail of adventures yeah. uh, when I was a kid. And I finally ran it, oh, about 10 years ago. And I was like, this sucks. This is a, practically the stupidest, the stupidest adventure. Um, none of them had played it. And I didn't even ask them. I just sprung it on them. And it was, it was all right. You know, they got to the part where the, the fake lich attacked them and the, the, the tomb supposedly collapsed and they all ran away. And, and, uh, and I, I got to say, at the end of it, it was, it was, it was an amusing evening. It was like, um, it was like eating a couple of handfuls of Cheetos. You know they're not particularly good for you, but you're like, yeah, it's all right sometimes. <laughs> and um, 
I have to say, though, that it was gratifying at the end. One of my players, who's a big 5e fan, said, you know, the more we play 2-20, the, 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 just the more fluid that system feels. I said, yes, excellent. I, I can't. I can't knock 5e for certain things like the books it releases. I think they, they make really well-produced books. I like, oh, yeah. I like the little disclaimers they have at the front where it's like, you know, we can't promise that a beholder won't come and zap you. So like, they're, they're like just little yeah. touches like that. They look nice. The, you know, the writing's very good. There's good, there's good world building in some of them. You know, they, they aren't fitting in loads of bloat. I mean, I, I'd actually rather they had, they had like bloat books and setting books instead of keep doing these ones where like every time they release a new book, it's like, it's it's a bit of setting and it's a bit of new character stuff and there's an adventure and you're like that's really irritating i'd rather they were three separate things and then i could you know pick and choose what i wanted but it, you know they do some really good stuff and it's actually you know it's, a, it's an okay system but compared to 2d20 it's just nowhere near as good as that and like i've said last week it's like to for me it doesn't even compare to to pathfinder second edition it's like everything that 5e is doing quite well Pathfinder 2E is doing much better. Um, so it's just, yeah. So like I buy a lot of the books because they're nice for a read and they have some good ideas in. Um, sure. And it is a simple system. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, relatively simple. I mean, you know, there's simpler systems, but yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's 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 the three, it's the third edition of the D20 system problem that it's it's become the t totally synonymous now that all role playing is 5E, whether it yeah. suits it or not, which just bugs me. Yeah, it was like I said, it, it it went well. One of the things that I noticed as a in running it that I I felt a little constrained by was a lack of the meta currency, a lack of that way to better adjudicate the ebb and flow of the story and the the adventure mechanically and narratively. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. One of those meta currencies from Two Die Twenty threat in a lot more detail because honestly, I felt myself missing threat as a GM uh, in this game. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, the, we, several episodes ago, we talked about the meta cur currencies, um, momentum, threat, and uh, determination, or fortune. That's called fortune in uh, Conan, and threat is called doom in Conan, but I'll just call it threat here. I still but like the more it. I've run the game, the more I realize that there's so much beneath this, the surface of threat for the GM. Um, so that is what we're going to talk about in today's episode. And you and I just spoke about the idea that threat could be or can be neatly divided into three categories of type. Yep. Um, so I think we'll go from the the easiest, the easiest to understand and and frankly the easiest to use. We'll start off with that one. And we call that the mechanical category, right? Yeah. And what kinds of things would someone, I mean, for, for a new GM or for a review of someone who wants to run a two die 20 game, just so we're clear, we're on the same page. What, what do we, what do we put in that category? The mechanical expression of threat or threat of the mechanical flavor only. What kinds of things can a GM do with threat? Most of the two D 20 things is essentially stuff you can do with momentum. You do with threat also combined to that is if you generate, if you generate momentum as a, as a, as a GM, what you're really doing is creating extra threat. But I like to kind of in the moment, I'll think it was momentum. And then if, I tend to spend it. Like whereas a player, I might, you know, if, if I have players, you might generate the momentum and save it for your friend. 
as a as a GM mostly, if I have a character that generates momentum from an action, I'll usually try and spend it straight away there. But it's generally a mechanical spend, so it's the same as momentum. So things like uh, having extra D20s on your roll or or then like turning it into like you know better damage or something like that on your on your damage roll. So that tends to be the main things. Yeah, I mean, as a as a player GM, if you take a look in any of the the rule books or quick starts that you might have for this, any any table or list you find of momentum spends, like you've got momentum spends before the roll and momentum spends after the roll. And before the roll is primarily uh, what's it called? Before the roll is just buying extra twenties. Yeah, and after the roll, it's I mean, the easiest way is more damage, um, and then also triggering certain things depending on the system, like. Um, knockdown or disarm or things like that the very very specific very concrete anyway so yeah so anything that you can do with momentum the gm can do a threat and i think that's a really a good idea you just said that you typically whenever you generate momentum threat as a gm through your roles you like to spend it right away i i tend to do the same because i usually have a, a pile in front of me I usually have a, a, depending on the system, the the norm is um, the GM starts the session with two threat per uh, player. However, in Conan, you start with three because Conan is just, has sharper teeth, I guess. Um, But yeah, I usually like to spend that which is generated right then and there on that attack or that action unless I'm really low on threat and then I'll I'll bank some of it. But Yeah. yeah, anything you can do with momentum, you as GM can do with threat. Really simple, simple stuff. I think if I was maybe the exception to that, and we don't really, you don't tend to have like minions and a boss. Conan probably get close to that. But if I was doing like a more D and D style thing, and I had a bunch of like minion goblins and then like a boss goblin, I think if I had the minions generate like threat, I might save that, and then that'd be going into the boss thing. So then that'd be like the little dudes, like you know, they'd be ticking away and probably not doing a lot. I don't want them like spiking and getting massive damage, but then they could give the other stuff to the thing. I think the main thing that you've got to think of as a GM in this, like this mechanical area is that bit's easy. If you generate threat, you can spend it straight away. That's relatively easy choice. It's when to add dice or not. That's, that's where you have this tricky thing. And this is the thing you've said in the past about people treating it as adversarial. Um, But I kind of, I kind of mostly like generally throughout a whole session, I will not add dice to an NPC's, uh, or, you know, a, a, like a baddies actions so to get extra dice until it comes like if it's important. So if it's the if it's the big boss guy, if I need him to get a hit because it's important, then yeah, I might bump his dice up to having five dice because kind of I want him to hit. Um, same as like you know, in our Star Trek thing, if it was a you know a start of the unless the whole point of the start of the session was for the, the PCs to lose, um, you know, if it was a start of session little skirmish. I wouldn't add any dice, but when it's like an important thing later on in the session and it's like, you know, the big encounter, that's when you've got the opportunity, right? Well, I'm going to make sure it's important, which you can't do in other games because in other games, you know, you roll your dice and you keep fluffing your dice and you're like, well, this is meant to be a really big, important combat. Um, and my choice now is either stick with the dice, but I'm rolling cold or I cheat the dice. Yeah. Um, which, you know, GMs will occasionally do because it's really important that I hit this. So I'm just going to fudge my dice. Well, I don't have to do that in 2D20. I can tell the players I'm spending threat or heat or whatever on uh, on, on an extra roll. The players then realize that, like, you know, this is it's their karma coming back to bite them or they know it's really important. You know, so even just with this mechanical spend, 
there's like a narrative thing to it. They know it's important if you start spending a ton of threat. They realize, oh, this is this is a big encounter. This is, you know, whereas in other games, it's just it's another combat. So that you know, it's, there's an obvious thing there. Even if it's you're just rolling extra dice, uh, that rolling extra dice, they can tell it's important. Yeah, and I, I I tend to I tend to do generally the same thing that I don't often buy additional die 20 i don't buy additional 20s on before the roll because or unless like if i have an idea for an encounter and i mean we've all been there you as a gm have an idea for an encounter and you don't want to railroad things you're not trying to i mean if, if you've already decided the outcome completely why bother even with the you know the the, the charade of, of dice rolls just tell the players this is what happens to you and they have no no say in the matter i'm not saying that but there are times when you have an idea as to here's this combat encounter. And I want this combat encounter to fill this place narratively within the story. And things just completely go sideways in a way that, you know, like you've got, say, a bunch of minion types and you've got your, you know, a lieutenant or two and then the big boss and you want them to get some kind of info like the the big boss has uh has like information on his body somewhere he's got like id or some i don't know whatever something that the players can learn and um and just the way the combat is going it, it's it's leading in a direction that is going to uh short circuit that aspect of the story that's when i'll start spending those uh the threat to buy the additional die 20s to go ahead and you know kind of put the bad guys back on the horse so that they can fight back and 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 steer the story the the way that I want it to but um usually I'll go ahead and use those purely mechanical threat spends throughout the combat as needed I'll use them for things like disarming knocking down uh and sometimes for extra damage um you know, there are just those times when you roll and you roll a bunch of threes and fours. And, <laughs> and, and the problem then is it's not an issue of, hey, I'm going to get adversarial and I want to damage your character. There's a point on the player's side of it, and I I'm sure you've all been there, where the, the combat seems cool going into it, but then it becomes this kind of stupid walkover. And there's no yeah. there's no excitement or or like because there's no danger to it. So throwing some extra damage at the at the the players that way I think is uh, is helpful. I recommend if you're a new GM with this system to familiarize yourself with combat momentum spends because they're the same as threat. And what I would do is take a look at maybe three or four that you think you would be you would want to use the most and just use those initially so that you get used to it um, instead of trying to bury yourself with like all of the possible spends in these three different categories. Um, and then you end up slowing the game down. I'd rather have a, a few that you're going to use, you feel comfortable with when you decide to use them and then add more complexity later, which actually takes us out of the purely mechanical ones and into what we would call like the leverage for the GM category. Um, what kinds of spends fit into that? Like I said, three categories. The per first one's purely mechanical, and I'm calling this one leverage for the GM. Uh, I think the main two that we see pop up the most across the games is, is having extra NPCs pop up. And then, I mean, the, what kind of a catch-all thing would be hazards. Um, so hazards would be the kind of thing like you, you could spend it on things exploding in the background or 
uh, players shooting a civilian or, you know, a, a, a tram comes trundly through the middle of the scene and, you know, knocks a bunch of people out. So that kind of things which, are, you know, things which are in the brain around you, like, you know, things blowing up or cranes collapsing, that, that kind of stuff. So stuff which, in an, I mean, actually, it's the kind of stuff in any other game you would say this just happens, but actually very rarely do people do it unless they've pre-written it. It's the kind of thing, again, where people will go, oh, well, why do I have to spend and threaten this to make stuff happen? The better way to look at it is, is in another game, you've either written at, you know, in round three, this thing will happen. Or if someone rolls a, you know, a fumble, a one uh, on a D20 when they're shooting in this particular direction, this oil tanker blows up. So in other games, you've written, uh, you've, you know, you've got a thing that's going to happen and a condition to set it off. Well, it's the same here, except we've got this pool of threat and the condition, you know, that to make X, Y, or Z happen, you spend threat to make it happen. So it's rather than it being random, because sometimes in these things, nothing ever happens. You've got, I've seen, seen these games with this cool list of, here's all this cool stuff that could happen. Um, and maybe the things to trigger it doesn't, or you just forget it. So that here it's kind of like a threat. Things like, oh, yeah, actually, no, I want this cool thing to happen. And so it's... You know, again, it's a thing to aid the GM. It's not meant to be adversarial. It's, it's you know, it's maybe cool stuff that should go on. Right. Yeah, I, I use the uh, jumping in, you know, because in, in most, of the, most of the systems, you know, the, the, the default is player character goes first and then you alternate NPC, PC. Uh, in Conan, all the players go first and then all the NPCs go but that order can be jostled by the GM or the players by spending momentum or threat to uh, to jump in. That is to either go first if you're the GM or go twice in a row if you're GM or player. And that I said, like, like I see that as providing leverage because you have no guarantee as to what that, you know, you just spent this threat, you jumped in, you jumped to the top of initiative because you wanted your 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 bad guy who, I don't know, you portray as being, you know, uh, quick on the draw. And so you want him to be quick on the draw and you spend the threat and he goes for it. He could still miss. But, um, but like I said, I, I see it as providing a form of, of leverage. Um, the other thing that, you know, you, you brought up that I've, I've made some use of is the um, bringing in additional enemies. You know, you, every, every game, and I think, you know, this is, this is the thing that 5e promises to do well, but, I don't know necessarily how well it works out, but the whole idea of using like challenge rating mm. or in uh, these games, using the difference between minions and um, toughened and nemeses to, to, to build an encounter that's either intentionally easier or like on level, if you want to call it that, or intentionally difficult. Sometimes, you know how it works. You plan, I want this to be a difficult encounter and it just falls apart because you roll really poorly and your players are extra smart that day. And it just seems like it'd be more fun if I threw in some more types of enemies. So you spend threat to have more, more show up. Um, and I think that I, again, you know, you said that this doesn't make it adversarial. I agree completely because if I just did that, you know, you'd say, well, you could do that in any system. Sure you could. But in this, I have a, a limited pool that I get to spend from which I think serves to balance it a little bit. It's less of just a GM fiat and GM decides to use a limited resource to change the encounter a little bit. The other thing on the leverage side um, that I've, uh, 
that I've used, especially in Star Trek, is escalation. When I choose enemies, like, you know, Klingons come with, they come with a certain kind of weapon. But if you want a Batleth, if you want something that's nastier, thus making that NPC more potent, you got to spend a little bit of threat for it. And that has helped me in building encounters that I feel like make more sense and take into account that, hey, listen, here's just a Klingon with a, with a knife. Here's a Klingon with a Batleth. They're, they're not the same thing. And I give up some of this threat this pool to represent that this pool of NPCs is, is not homogenous and some of them are going to do more damage. Some of them are, are more threatening. Again, though, I'm not guaranteed that that's going to work out. So like I said, I just call that leverage that it provides for me. Yeah, I think that's a good, I mean, I, I very rarely do that, but that's generally because if I'm playing, so mostly I've played infinity and Conan where I've used pre-written adventures and since they're mostly written for the kind of standard, oh, you've got four players and I only have two, it tends to be that if I use what's written in the adventures, there's too many bad guys already. So I don't tend to need to bring any in. Um, the other one I played a lot of relatively recent was Fallout. And Fallout actually had like a, a kind of more like D&D where there was like l- levels for the bad guys. Um, but there didn't seem to be a lot of consistency between whether certain things were certain levels because we had a very low level. Some of the low level creatures were really hard. And as you went up, some of the high level creatures weren't. And actually, it mostly came down to how much how much armor did the enemies have? Uh, and partly that was because Fallout splits uh, your armor into kind of physical and then like energy. So they had to start off with, I, you know, I picked some low level creatures, but they had quite high physical armor so they couldn't do anything to them once they got laser guns the laser guns just kind of annihilated these things but they didn't start with laser guns so so again i didn't need to like be i don't need to spend threat to bring other things in because they were getting wrecked by the things that they started off with so it was almost the other but there's again a perfect example where like i don't need to um but yeah i still think the kind of the threat works almost as a limiting thing. You could just always just throw in any other system, just throw more bad guys, throw more bad guys. And here it's kind of like, if your players are going to spend a ton of threat, then they're going to get something back. I said, my players are big fans of spending, you know, lots of threats or all their momentum. If they have no momentum, lots of threat on making sure they have four or five dice on almost every roll. Well, then they deserve to have something come back at them. And if that's in an encounter, a ton of bad guys are going to turn up. They'll be like, Oh yeah, I guess we shouldn't have spent that. So I st- again, I don't see it adversarial. It's a, it's a consequence of, you know, of, of their actions. Well, I mean, and if you're not familiar with the system, remember that you either can use momentum that you gain from a role or has been banked by the party, or you can borrow it by giving the GM threat. And there's no, the, the, the idea of mortgaging your, your, your future to an extent at the table by giving the GM a resource in return for an advantage in the moment, if there was no potential blowback from that, then then it, it, it's kind of it becomes this like silly munchkin game where, oh yeah, I'll just take more dice, I'll do more damage, I'll just give you all these points that UGM can't do anything with. There should be that kind of karmic flow, I think. Um, and again, you know, the GM could use that either, you know, that threat could be for these mechanical things, for these leverage generating pieces. But I know that the the dimension of threat that you yourself have said you've used the least, the narrative expression of it or narrative use of it is actually the one that I feel like has the most, um, has the most traction. Yeah. Is the most, it will, 
I think it will spur GM creativity the most and is probably the, the, the hardest to get your head around because it's not from a list. Yeah, I think, because so we're talking about the, the narrative yeah. kind of things. I think in other systems, I, am, I have done this a lot. So in both Cortex and Fate, um, spending, uh, well, GM doesn't have fate points, but creating aspects as a GM or, or having, uh, spending, you know, whatever the plot points, or if it's like Marvel had the doom pool, um, spending those kind of things to create, you know, aspects or you know, trait kind of things. I've done a lot in those kind of things. It happens to be in 2d20, the systems, the ones where they've introduced the ideas of, of uh, using traits and the GM spending to add a trait to the scene. I haven't played them that much because like infinity and Conan don't have that and fallout, which is the newest one. The fall, I was just looking here, the fallout, um, fallout goes to the actual stream of in fallout. You don't even have a different name. The players have action points and the GM has action points. Mm-hmm. And so when the, when the players spend what would be threat in anything else, they're just giving action points to the GM. So right. you don't even have extra spends. You're, you're in that game, your spends are the same as the players. So there's none of that stuff. At all. And that's the most recent one. So yeah, all the other ones. So like acting Cthulhu, June dishonored, which have a lot of this trait stuff. I haven't played those. So I haven't, yeah. I haven't really made use of it. So yeah, I'm interested to hear kind of how you've uh, gone with those. Well, in, in general, I, I think you're, your comparison to the fate system and the idea of traits, I think is, is spot on because that, and, and I think that's where threat really, really has so much potential, whether it's called threat or doom or it's action points, which you know what the idea of, of it being action points on both sides of the screen, I think for the sake of simplicity, that's nice, but I like the idea of threat. I like the use of that word. And in Conan, doom. I still prefer um, doom. Doom is the best one. Doom. doom. But uh, anyway, the, the where I think this has value, and incidentally, Conan does have a way to do this because for one spent, one doom, you can trigger a minor environmental effect for two points, a major environmental effect and so that in a way is Mm -hmm. is that does enable you to plug in something that's trait like whereas in um, like star trek adventures spending two momentum as a player or two threat as a gm enables you to establish an advantage or like a trait for the scene that could last the whole scene and this is where the narrative side of it comes in and the wonderful thing about it is that duh, there is a clear mechanical expression too. I think that's one of the hardest things when you say, okay, you folks are in a, let's say it's Conan and you're in a a cave and the cave has um, slime all over the place. So it's hard to move. It's it's slippery. What does that mean mechanically? You could say, well, it's slippery or it's dark, you know, and, and a lot of, obviously lots of games have ways for you to adjudicate those kinds of things as penalties or whatever. But I mean, in um, Star Trek Adventures, they have a, um, there's already a framework for this. You could say, for example, you could spend two threat to, you could establish a, uh, like a, a class two nebula, which, you know, it sounds very Star Trekian, but what that means is it adds two difficulty to rolls. A right. class three would add three. All right, cool. So there's a simple structure there that has both a narrative and a mechanical value to it or expression and what i have found is that on the fly if you're paying attention to your players and you have an idea in mind for a setting 
like a, a rather a scene. Like for example, in the Octon Cthulhu uh, quick start, a quick trip to France, there is a scene where the players run into a group of, uh, of Nazi soldiers at a farmhouse and there's a fight. And I had the, the, the Nazi soldiers spread around different places. And I decided because my players were very clever and they rolled very well and I rolled very poorly and it was turning very quickly into like a, like a pointless walkover. There was just the, the, the players didn't feel it at all. They were enjoying it, but it, you know, they didn't feel it. I didn't think. So I spent threat to escalate one of the last guys to have a flamethrower. And I put him up top in the, um, and it actually wasn't a, a farmhouse. It was a barn and he was upstairs in the barn and he had cover. Um, and then because he was inside the thing and he had the flamethrower and then it was raining, it was raining really hard outside. So I, I spent threat to establish that as a scene trait, which obscured their vision. <laughs> you know, so it, it, I actually didn't spend aside from the escalation so that the, uh, the, the soldier could have a flamethrower instead of just a, uh, a machine gun aside from spending that. And aside from jumping in, I think once or twice, skipping the initiative order so I could move up, I didn't use any of the mechanical um, uh, options for threat. I just, I used it to establish the rain. I used it to, um, like I said, I used it to buy the flamethrower. I also recently ran the, uh, what is it, the Pit of Katalu or something like that. I Kotakalu, Kalu, whatever. It was the Conan uh, free RPG day uh, scenario from a couple of years ago. I recently ran that for some folks and established a scene trait by spending doom of high waves and the rocking deck of a ship, which made movement harder. But when my player turned, one of my players who was trying to sneak around and sneak up on some of the pirate crew of the ship, you know, moving between crates that were sliding around on deck, he actually turned that to his advantage for stealth because, you know, if, if you're trying to hold on to the side of the ship and get something done while waves are splashing around and the ship is bobbing around like, like you know, rubber ducky in a tub, you're not going to be paying attention necessarily to the guy who's creeping up, who's hiding beneath a box or something like that. So what's fascinating is that I found that using moment, using uh, threat or doom to establish traits, which in most cases, I use to challenge the players. I've had players turn them back around on me and make a good case for, hey, it's dark. I can't see anything, but they can't see me either. And so then the yeah. advantage, depending on the situation, switches to the player. These are the things that I've just used on the fly, trying to shape the environment of a scene in such a way that, um, that it makes it interesting and I can play off the players' actions and their kind of inclinations for how they're going about dealing with the scene. And that's where I'm finding myself spending the most uh, effort and literally spending the most doom and, and threat these days. When I don't play 2D20, threat is the thing, one of the things I miss. I like the kind of... the. That I, from a player side, I like it that the players have a way. I know it's very meta and sound, but I like the fact that the players can decide, I want to have a better chance of succeeding. So I'm going to trade off these points to the GM and then the GM can then use it back against them. And I can't do that in any other no. system. You know, in other systems, there's 
you know, there might be points and you, you earn those points. Usually you earn those points, you know, when things go bad and then you can spend them to do better, which is great. But this is kind of, you know, this, this is a bit more of a trade-off between the, the, the player and the GM and the GM gets to do something with it. And it's kind of, as a GM, it just makes it a bit more fun. Every, you know, a lot of, I mean, okay, sometimes it makes it feel like I'm playing a game and sometimes I'm not telling the story as much, but that's just kind of how my brain goes as opposed to you go, go really into the, the, the like the narrative side of it. Um, but I still, you know, I kind of, I kind of like that. Sometimes when I'm playing a role-playing game. I kind of, I might feel like I'm missing out on this. Like I'm, I'm telling the story, but they're getting to live the story. Um, and so it's sometimes it's nice that like, I get to have this threat thing that I get to play with. So I'm having a lift. I'm, I'm having fun as well in the game thing. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I like, that's part of the reason I really like 2D20. It's just, you know, that extra little bit of, of sort of gaminess about it, which I know it totally turns some people off, but you know, I, the, the funny thing is, I think people who are turned off by that probably also like super love fate. And it's like, man, it's like totally the same thing, yeah. except that, you know, I've got more gamey stuff, but like fate is playing fate is a totally, you know, it's all, it's all about the meta. It's very hard to separate the, it's a very, it's a very narrative story mm-hmm. game, but it's all built around the, the fate economy and the meta of it. Um, and, you know, same as like the cortex things are exactly the same. And, and these are games that are championed as being, you know, really good narrative story builds games, but 2D20 is like, oh, it's totally, you know, it, it, it's very, very mechanical. It's like, well, actually, I think you need to look at Dishonored and Dune, which are probably more extreme than, you know, the, than both Fate and most Cortex games in how much of a really a story thing they are. They've got rid of all the, the comp, you know, there's no damage dice in those. They don't have all the complex momentum spends. They've really gone down the, you know, the very, very narrative games. Oh, other than the dueling rules in June, but we won't go there. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm that. looking at uh, page one forty one. What is it? What is it? One forty one of the Octon Cthulhu Game Master's Guide. One of the, it, it has a list of spending threat, and one of the things it says is change of circumstance, which is in Star Trek Adventures is like create advantage or scene trait is two threat. You can take an existing location or situation truth and remove it, change it, or add a new truth that alters the scene. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Octone Cthulhu, a truth is like a trait. That's just the word for it in Octone Cthulhu, truth. I think you're right. Your, your explanation of it gives you as the GM a little more of an opportunity, a little bit, definitely more of an opportunity to be involved on the fly as the story dynamically unfolds. Like I love being a GM because I sit down and I come up with weird ideas and I hope they're good. And I look through books and I plan stuff out. Like you, you plan the dinner party, you know, you choose the dishes, you buy the ingredients, you get you 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 make all the dishes and you have this whole idea for how it's going to play out when your friends come over for the dinner party like that is pleasing as a gm but that doesn't mean once the dinner party starts you just put the dishes out on the table and and you sit silently having that that ability to engage with the story that you have set the foundation for dynamically as it develops and develops i mean always in ways that you as gm cannot fully foresee and that the players can't either. I've also found that, and again, this is to go to that that question of or that idea. Well, this is this creates an adversarial, uh, you know, uh, like tone at the table because there's still a number attached to it. I've actually found that it it doesn't create that. Like I can't just say a boulder falls on you. 
You know, like if I was a pissed off 12 year old D and D GM and I just didn't like what you did. And so I have a boulder fall on you from out of the sky, <laughs> you know, I, I could just do that. And then I'm a jerk. But, um, you know, if, if I want to say that the slippery cave slime is going to inhibit your movement, but not the movement of the beastie that you're fighting, which is some tentacled horror, which it's generating the slime, so it likes to move around in it. Oh, and I spent two points, and that causes it to be this level of a of a complication for you. It's gonna your difficulty is going to increase by this amount. I spent the points. I don't think there's a whole lot of of argument. As a matter of fact, when I've when I've run the system. And I've run the system a lot for people who've never played it. That explanation and seeing me spend my red tokens and seeing my pile decrease, like, okay, they get it. I, mm. I think it's one of those things that maybe at first glance, when you read it, you, you might think that, yeah, it creates an adversarial tone. But when you see it in action, I mean, unless your GM is a jerk, and then your GM is probably going to be a jerk in any system. Yeah. I think definitely having a, having a stack of like so we both use poker chips going bigger it is good. I was surprised to see someone on a I know I guess Facebook asking you know do you keep them in play or do you keep them hidden and someone's like oh, I always hide hide them and I think no like you know having that building stack of of red poker chips showing that you know the threats going up or the heat or the doom or whatever else um, like I think it needs to be in view. Yeah, I was just I was just. Uh, to add to that, I was looking at the Dishonored thing. And I've said this in the past that Dishonored is very pared down, and like the, your, your in this is called chaos. And I'll get to the reason for that. Anyway. Your spends are very low. It is just buy D twenties for pin NPCs rolls, and then again, it's got the idea that then became Cthulhu to create a truth after an NPC roll, roll, and then you've got to prevent the players from creating a truth as a result of an NPC's complication. So you can also use complication to create the truth. But again, one of the things I really like about Dishonored is that they've added a way of creating chaos. And if basically, if you if you knock someone out, then that doesn't create chaos. But if you kill someone, which means then, like, you, someone finds then the dead body, um, that creates chaos because the whole point of Dishonored is you're meant to be like stealthy people right. in the shadow. If you're running around just like murder hoboing everyone, that'll give this big stack of, of chaos to the to the GM who can then you know come down on the players because that's exactly what happens in in the game if you sneak around and no one ever sees you and you only kill like the two guys you're meant to kill nothing bad happens but if you just run around just butchering the entire like all the NPCs in the game then like all the you know police people turn up and just you know and you, the game becomes unplayable so and that's you know they've 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 taken that to put it into a role playing context but then also put it into this this idea of truths and so on this this nice narrative context so you know it they, it can be used in 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 different ways um which again is one of the cool things about all these different versions of 2d20 is they all deal with it slightly separately um yeah all of them all of them provide for use of threat or doom to purchase anything that momentum can do. I think that they, all the ones that I've played, they provide that, but then there are some differences in the margins for how it, uh, how it functions. You got that example from dishonored, which that absolutely makes sense. Like if you want to play dis, if you're going to play dishonored, you should play it because at least in part, you're interested in the conceits of that setting. You shouldn't play dishonored. If you want to be, you know, if you want to run it like uh, like that Val Kilmer movie Heat from back, you know, ages ago, <laughs> where they rob the bank in L.A. and they have this gigantic like gunfight in the streets, like don't don't play Dishonored 
if that's what you want to do as choice A, play something else. Um, I don't know. The police, the police really came down on them hard because of that. Yeah. So actually, that's still kind of like you know that that wasn't that was kind of Plan B. That wasn't Plan A. Well, right. No. That, okay. That's that's true. That's a good point. Uh, so, but, but I mean, yeah, but actually, I, but, kind of. Yeah. I don't. Know what you mean. They don't play the game. And like Star Trek, Star Trek requires that if you set your if you set a weapon, a hand weapon to kill, or you use a lethal <laughs> weapon. I as GM get threat because look, Starfleet's not supposed to be murder hobos. Starfleet's supposed to be about solving problems peacefully and hey, can everyone come together and kumbaya and all that good stuff. So when you set your phaser to kill, you know, but that's an expression of the story. What happens in the Klingon book then? <laughs> no, actually, that's a darn the opposite. Good that is a fine question, and I, I don't know the answer to it. I don't know the answer to it. I should look because I have that book. I wondered I that. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like that should be like if a Klingon could kill and doesn't, the GM gets threat. You know what? Because like, you know, it's like it should be the opposite. Like Klingons are all about like the or the honorable kill. Actually, you know what? That's a really good point. And whether that's in the book or not, I have just that is a house rule. I just stole from you. That's a really great idea. If if a Klingon has an opportunity, if it's story appropriate that the Klingon kills and chooses not to, unless there's maybe a challenging of a value or something like that in there, yeah, that could generate threat because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Although yeah. I, to be honest, I'm not that familiar with the, all the honor rules and that no. kind of stuff in that book. I, I, mainly, I mainly got the Klingon book for the background initially and also the, the reread of the rules that are presented more clearly. Yeah, I, I really hope they come and come out with a third book. Although, from what I understand, they are doing. I think they have got the Picard license. Yeah, one of the things I liked about Picard is it's like you know it was still Star Trek, but they weren't in Starfleet, which means I mean they weren't running around killing people, but they had a bit more. I mean, certainly like you know some of the characters in it because they weren't Starfleet had a bit more of a a choice of how they were going to do things. Um, so I'd be interested to see if well, I don't think it'll be a new core book, but like a setting book which says actually. You don't have to worry about putting your phases on stun if you want to go, you know, right. killing people if they're, you know, baddies. Then, uh, then that's totally okay. So I think that would be uh, that would be pretty cool to to see that kind of thing. Like, cause I'd really like to be able to play in the Star Trek universe without having to be Starfleet, right? Be or, or be under that that set of general expectations, even if you're not in Starfleet. Because, as we said, I I need to go look in the Klingon book and see if that's an issue for them. Um, but if it, I mean, if it is, it I guess I guess it'd be situational. I'll need I'll need to read that. Um, looking at threat in in general, I mean, uh, like globally, you know, again, we've established three different types from our standpoint: the purely mechanical, the the leverage generating for the GM, and then the the, the narrative. And there's remember that just because we say it's narrative doesn't mean there isn't a mechanical expression. As a matter of fact, there's a very clean mechanical expression in a lot of the systems. Um, my suggestion. As I said earlier, when it comes to mechanical, if you're going to run this, I would look at the list of momentum spends and I would choose a couple that you think would be most useful. And probably most useful is buying extra dice, causing extra damage, or a couple of basic damage effects that momentum would purchase in that system. I would do that first. I would, when it comes to the leverage generating and the narrative, I think you need to think about that based on the scene 
And if you have a story idea, a vibe, a feel for how the players are going to stumble into or come into that this this conflict scene, and what what general interesting things you could see or would like to see resulting from that conflict scene, jot down maybe a couple of ideas for what the scene actually physically looks like and would feel like if you were there. And as needed, you can obviously spend to create those things or leverage those things in the scene itself. And then think about if things go wildly off the rails or just go in a, in a direction that doesn't seem interesting, what kinds of spends could you use to get it back to where it's, it's interesting and people are liking it and enjoying it at the table. And my suggestion for this, I mean, I, I say these things because this is a novel system for GM. Threat and doom are not something that exists in the vast majority of systems. And the, the myriad options that you have can seem a little overwhelming, I think. And the last thing you want to do as a GM is be flipping through tables and charts at the table trying to figure out, well, do I want to spend this point or that point or something? So this is what I'm suggesting to you as a 2 die 20 GM to think of these things beforehand on a scene-by-scene basis and jot down some notes for that scene. So that when you get into it, you have an idea about how you you think things could flow well so that you can react to your players and the random roles that get made and make decisions that still fit within that, call it like the thesis statement for that that scene. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, like I said, the I the all, most awkward thing is is the is the when to spend the threat. Like I said, not the threat that's that's generated when you actually do a role, but like when when do I do it? Um, and I think there's actually relatively easy ways of uh, deciding how you're going to deal with that. It's like you know, it's not if it's an important role, spend points. If there's a cool thing that can happen in the scene, spend the points. You know, if you want something to change in the scene, spend it. So it's not you know, it's not difficult. Yes, it is something more than maybe some other game. Well, it's, we say some other games, but I really, I mean like sort of fifth edition type stuff. Because if you're playing something like uh, like a Cortex game or you're playing uh, like a Fate, then actually this stuff is just built into it anyway. So it, it's the same. So it depends what you're coming from. Yeah. So my suggestion is for those folks who are just getting into this system, as GMs especially, this is a this is a really significant dimension of these systems, that is these meta currencies. And I guarantee you, if you present the opportunity to players to bank and use surplus success, they're going to use it to their advantage. Like they're going to buy extra dice and they're going to figure out ways to knock your, they're, they're going to do all kinds of things so that they can win, for lack of a better word. And threat is meant to be the one-to-one complement to momentum. And so if you don't use threat, and I have a, a, a good friend of mine who ran Conan for us for a while, about two years ago, he, uh, he's going to listen to this episode because uh, I'm going to tell him about it. But he <laughs> started to really have a problem with the system because he felt like the players could just like the players were never threatened. The players were were like killbots who you would always succeed. And we had one player who had really done a very good job of optimizing her character into just this absolute death machine. And and so he started to kind of sour on the system and say, like, you know, there's there's no drama to it. There's no there is no danger to the players. No matter what I throw at you guys, I feel like you just steamroll right over it. 
And the, what I'm realizing is that he, he wasn't using threat very much. Right. And he was only using it, he was mainly using it in just those mechanical ways, primarily to jump in and do extra damage here and again. But he would always, I think he would forget. He'd have this pile of chips he just wouldn't turn to. And I think that's, that's, a, that's an aspect of this game, this system that you as a GM absolutely need to get your head around because it is, it's the yin to the momentum's yang. And if you yeah. don't use it as GM, you are going to end up with a group of players who just probably steamroll everything you throw in their way. And that's gonna, that will actually, I think, undercut the tension and the drama and the fun at the table if everything is a, is a walkover. Yeah, I think totally. You can't, you have to spend the threat. You don't have to spend it all the time, but you definitely need to spend it, you know, at, at some point because it's, uh, you know, it's just like it's a totally, it's a, it's a key thing. Well, so, and you just yeah, made a, absolutely. you made a really good point too a moment ago about, uh, you know, the, that question, you know, do you keep your, your threat or doom pool on which side of the screen? If you're using a screen, do you put it on? And I think it, it absolutely has to be visible to everybody because just like, as my daughter calls it, ominous music in a movie provides the, the viewer with a sense of foreboding and, and doom to come. Just like foreshadowing in a book indicates that something bad could happen in the future, like in a horror novel or whatever, you have to have that pile because unless you're playing, you know, unless you're really good at, at running you know, atmospheric music and suddenly you start to play ominous music <laughs> at the table, I'm terrible at that. I, I get... I, I can't manage that much crap at once. Yeah, that pile of red poker chips serves as foreshadowing for uh, crap. The next time we get into a, a, a conflict encounter, uh, we better watch ourselves. And, and yeah. that creates that, that fun tension that kind of energizes and focuses because, because there's risk involved now. It's not just this silly walkover. So yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's got to be out there and uh, they've got to see... Maybe I have to see that. Is there anything else that you want to add suggestions to people? Because what I'm really hoping is that people will listen to this episode and that they'll come away with a better understanding of it. But especially if you're going to GM a better sense of how do I, how do I do this thing? Because it, it is a little more of a, it is something of a complicating factor at the table as a GM, because it's another thing that you've got to be you have to stay on top of yeah. because if you don't use it, I really think it undercuts the way the system is meant to function. So I hope that people listen to this and, and come away with an idea as to how will I go about using this. Do you have any other suggestions or advice? I think it's definitely worth having a look at some of the pre-written adventures, which do have suggestions for sort of when to to spend, you know, rather than going straight into your own thing and thinking, well, how am I going to spend this? It's, it's, it's worth looking at of some of the pre-written stuff. I mean, I still go all the way back to uh, the Infinity Beta where, where they had, you know, the as you played it, all these civilians were going to get shot and the police were going to turn up. And, you know, if I gave you a very good idea of the kind of other things you could do with threat other than rolling dice. Um, so, you know, I definitely, that would be my advice, would be have a look at some of the, the pre-written stuff. And most of the core books now have a, a pre-written adventure in, so they'll give you better ideas on it. Yeah, you know, good point. Uh, actually, all the quick starts that I've looked through have suggestions about where and when and how much to spend for threat. And it's not stuff that's, that's purely mechanical. I mean, I know the Octum Cthulhu uh, quick start has suggestions as, you, as the, 
the story is moving along to spend threat here to generate this effect that's totally narrative, but then has a mechanical underpinning. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Just read what they've already put out. They, they do a nice job uh, through those of providing you with some ideas. I feel like every time we talk about this system, we, uh, we're we kind of a, a combination of apologists and, uh, and uh, 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 like preachers of some sort. But um, yeah, I wish we could get it. The awkward thing is like, because we advertise it to 2D20 groups who they already know some of the stuff we're talking about and it's trying to work. I wish I could find a way of getting non-2D20 people to listen to the, to then go, oh, right, well, we should be playing 2D20. It's really good, but it's like, I don't, I don't know where to go to do that stuff. Like I said, like I, you can do it on Reddit on a Saturday or something, I think, and we're always busy, so I always forget to, to post yeah. and go, hey, look, we're talking about DT20 some more. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so to you, the listener, if you're plugged into other gaming groups, go ahead and, hey, we'd love it if you would share the link to our show. Uh, you know, I always, I am, a, I am not a fan of, of self-promotion, uh, so I'm not promoting myself. I'm promoting our show. Uh, if you if you're getting something out of this, if you're trying to convert people to two die twenty or help people understand it, or you've just found some interest in some of the other episodes that we have, we'd really appreciate it if you would spread the word and also leave some reviews. Uh, look us up in our Facebook group, Fluff and Crunch. Um, that's with the letter N, not an ampersand. Uh, Fluff and Crunch on Facebook, uh, and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.